The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Ally Colbert Show. Welcome to the Allie Colbert Show. I'm here today joined by a very special guest. I'm really excited to talk to you. We just started talking about Ellie and Caesar Milan and we'll get into it. But I'm joined by Shanae Alexander. Hello. Hello. Oh, so glad to be here. Glad to have you. I spent a, a big portion of last night, um, which I just relayed to you, looking at your dog's Instagram because you have the <laughs> cutest, cutest dog and your dog is well-behaved, which not all of us have well-behaved dogs. Um, so did you, and I want to ask all about you, but we were just talking about her. What's your dog's name? Dingo. Dingo. Um, mm-hmm. And we were just talking about Dingo. And so did you have Caesar Milan on the podcast yesterday? No, we actually did a live Zoom Q&A with Caesar Milan through, because he's doing a canoe show. And my boyfriend and I's dream is to meet Caesar Milan and have him Caesar Milan our dog because our dog doesn't like delivery people. Okay. And he barks. And this is going to sound bougier than it really is. But the in our building, our door is the elevator. So okay. the delivery people are like in the elevator in our front door and our dog goes batshit crazy. And okay. so I really want him to be Caesar Milan. But then, you know, I got a little backlash. People saying Cesar Milan's no bueno. Right. And I'm so we spoke about that. And I'm surprised about that. I mean, first of all, I thought Dingo was perfect up until a moment ago. Because I thought. (laughs) This is like what Instagram will do. This is a little misleading because I thought Dingo was the perfect dog. And by the way, her dog looks like a bigger version of Ellie. It's like this black Aussie doodle with this cute white like patch of hair. I, I'm, I'm saying like I've seen I've seen him in person and I know him. But I'm going to p- put a side by side of our dogs on Instagram because it's oh like, my God, yes, it's very, very cute. But yeah, so Caesar Milan has a new show. And I wonder if you do have to be aggressive to like assert dominance over an aggressive dog because I've had a dog that's bit me. Ellie. What? Had- Ellie has bitten me. My dog. Just the dog that lives with you. Yeah. (laughs) Ellie has bitten me countless times, which is the reason why I'm seriously considering rehoming Ellie, which is like heartbreaking. And you have to be really careful about that entire process because you can't give her to someone who would then surrender her. Right. But let me tell you, when she's biting you, my response isn't don't be aggressive back. Just sit there and take it. No. Obviously not. So this girl that I follow on Instagram, she's not like an influencer or anything. She's just like a normal person. And she had a dog. Yeah, civilian, regular civilian. She had a dog for 10 years. All of a sudden, the dog just lost it and started attacking her. They were just laying on the couch and the dog just like had like a mental thing and started attacking her. And now I think about that all the time. I'm like, what if Dingo just loses it? He just snaps. That sounds like- starts attacking me in my sleep. That sounds like maybe like a brain tumor. I, I mean, I think something like really happened. But do you know what happened? Um, uh, no, they don't know. They were like, he just went wild. He went feral. And, and then people were like, well, dogs are wild animals. I'm like, not mine. 
Yeah, not the Labradoodle that's been living with me for a decade. No, um, this dog could not survive in the wild. He barely can survive in our apartment. So, I mean, we I put crushed ice in his water, you know? It's oh one my of those situations. God. <laughs> and do you and your boyfriend share equal responsibility of the dog? No. It's no. your dog. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Well, so he's the fun one. So he does. And this is like, if we had a kid, this would be how it would pan out. And I'm, I'm aware I would be like the one that is like the one they'd go to in times of need, but never for fun. Like he's <laughs> right. the one that like plays it with the dog. And, and I try, I'm more of like the cuddle and take you to the vet and cover all your vet, vet bills, you know? Wow. So yeah, you're the, it sounds like you're kind of, you're the strict mom and he's the fun dad. I know. It's, I mean, why is it's the worst? Yeah, but it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna do that? I mean, but do, but do you guys share the dog? Like, actually, like, is yeah. it your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live okay. together and we we share the dog. It's like our son, and oh. we're thinking about getting another one. Would you ever think about getting another one? So maybe it controls Ellie. So Ellie hates other dogs. Okay, <laughs> so no. And Ellie has a very dramatic scream. And Ellie will scream preemptively if she sees a dog coming at her. She's like a white woman that calls the manager when no one is doing anything wrong. Like, literally, a a car will come down the street. And if Ellie doesn't like the sound of, like, its engine, she'll start screaming. I've had cars pull over and be like, I'm sorry, did I just hit your dog? And I'm like, no, she just… She just nope. scre- is screaming because she's so dramatic. Is she, you know, she, scre- screaming dogs on TikTok are a big thing. So maybe before screaming you know, dogs on TikTok. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, get a lot of. Can views. you see her face? Oh yeah, she's oh. adorable. She's I really mean, adorable. If you go over there, though, I mean, I got this the other day done to me. It's it's wow. really this is the end of my rope with her because you you don't get a dog thinking I'm gonna give this dog away. Of course, wouldn't you try everything first? I totally. Mean, it's I feel guilt like I'm feel like a mother abandoning my child. Yeah, but I mean maybe you said she likes men. Maybe like like a man needs to adopt her. I know, I know. That's what I that's what I think. But I would be heartbroken too. I would be absolutely heartbroken. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. It really is. But let's talk about you and not about um my insane feral dog. <laughs> so you, I, um, you consider yourself, and tell me if I'm wrong, but a life advice giver. I do. So I give a lot of advice on my Instagram stories, but I know that I'm unqualified. So I think, are you qualified or do no, you? No, 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 no. You're also no. unqualified. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, I mean, I think you have to be unqualified to have a podcast, right? Yeah, I think so. And <laughs> no skills. I also feel like when people say that they're like a life coach, that that like the fact that they are so confident as to believe that they're qualified for that kind of makes them not a life coach. Right. And I actually, okay. So I had met with a business coach at one point back whenever I was like working a normal job. And I, she was like, have you ever thought of being a life coach? And I was like, I haven't really. And she was like, I think you should do it. And I was like, well, I don't want to go back to school. She's like, here's the thing. You don't have <laughs> Make to go it back up. to school. You can just say you're a life coach. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel great. Like, that actually doesn't feel like enough qualifications. Right. She's like, there's like training programs you can take for like 10 hours and become a life coach. And I was like, no shade to life coaches, but I'm just like, hey, I'm just going to be your friend that like gives you pretty decent advice. Right. That's how I, that's how I'm like coming at the advice. Do you think, would you say that you're of your friends, the one that people come to for advice? Um, 
I don't think so. I think that my <laughs> I don't even know if I have friends. I'm trying to think about it. You're I don't, like weird. Who I are my Who are my friends? I don't think I have friends that come to me for advice because I think my friends just I don't think my friends ask for advice. My friends are mm. all pretty alternative. They're just going to do what they want and see what happens. I don't there it's not I'm not like in like a Kappa Kappa sorority and they're like, "Ali, what do you think about Greg? Should I go <laughs> forward with it or not?" He doesn't want to meet my parents. I'm like friends with all people that are like doing their own freak flag. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, are you you must be that though. You must be oh, that yeah, person. Totally. So, what do you like what are have you spent, um, I guess, because I, I actually started talking to a life coach at one point over the pandemic because my girlfriend is a yoga teacher and she teaches transformational yoga. So she sort of threads through this, you know, life coaching type things, but she doesn't consider herself a life coach. And she's right. done a bunch of different training programs, um, one of them being this program called Atlas. That sort of, you know, there's all of these kind of leadership programs about like stepping into your like role and how to like activate all of the possibilities you have. But I'm curious, like, what are the things or is it just life experience that you feel makes you a a reasonable choice for someone to go to for advice? I think if you've fucked up enough and like your life has been enough of a disaster and I've kind of like failed my way through my life, which is you know, some would be like, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, no, it actually doesn't. Like I've had a lot of like failures in both like love and work and all of those things. And I, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot from that. I've all, I also give like a lot of advice about like confidence and things like that. And that's something that didn't always naturally come to me. It's like kind of come and gone and come and gone throughout my life, whether that's like through body image or whatever. But you know, I think it's more of like, people see me as their like big sister and I'm only 35, which is like, I guess, does that feel middle-aged? No. But like middle of your like out there life, I would say. And so I'm like, I feel like most of my people that are asking me for advice are younger. Like I have a young audience that's like, wants to know, uh, you know, what they do about their six guys they're juggling or, you know, we also talk about some serious stuff about like family and I have a, like a fucked up family. So that always helps. <laughs> but can we, can we hear about uh, your fucked up family or could we hear about one of your failures that you mentioned? Yeah. I mean, basically I got fired from my job of eight years and he was like, well, I can't pay you enough. So I'm going to pay you for two months, go start a company. And I was just like roaming the streets of New York, smoking cigs and crying for like 72 straight hours. And then I did end up starting a company and it was fine. But it was moments like that where you absolutely feel like you're a piece of shit that actually, I think you realize that you aren't a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like you actually realize you're like, wait, I can be at my like worst and like at my most like desperate and depressed and still you can kind of roll out of that and make it something better. And now I have a life that I really love and it actually like, you know, I don't want to be too like hokey and like inspirational, but it, it led me to, it, I needed that push and I needed that kind of like dark moment to actually lead me to do what I actually want to do, right. um, which is be with people, celebrate people, help people, and hopefully like laugh and make like quite a few friends. And I know that does sound very Kappa Kappa Gamma, except I was Pi Beta Phi. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
reform sorority girl, but I was the one that was like not wearing underwear and like I was in a sorority bad. too. Ooh, you were. But I was at in a sorority at NYU. Um, okay, so totally different thing. But <laughs> what was your job that that you were let go from that was not meant for you? I was a marketing director for eight years for okay. like luxury furniture designers. So and that's so not what you wanted to do, right? You know what? I loved it. I loved doing the job and I wanted to work in fashion when I first moved to New York, but I interned for three months at Nylon Magazine in its heyday. And I was like, wait, I don't want to be like any of these people. These people all seem fucking miserable and they hate their lives. And why would I hate my life and get paid $28,000 a year? Right. So I went and got paid $28,000 a year somewhere else where I didn't hate my life. And I loved working in that job, but I realized I really liked working with people and I really liked figuring out how people think and work. And that's kind of what marketing is, is just getting in people's heads. And so I started an event planning company after that. And then I now do like content creation on Instagram and my podcast full time. And, and so all of those things involve human beings and like figuring out how they tick. And so that's the thing I think will like kind of always be with me, you know? Right. Your story reminds me a little bit about this like Steve Jobs quote that I always reference about how you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only do it looking backwards. Mm-hmm. Yep. A- and just needing to have faith in something. So if you're smoking cigarettes on the side of the road, having been laid off thinking, you know, my life's a mess, but just just having faith that that you have this ultimate vision. And then from from your vantage point now, it makes sense how all of these chips sort of like fell into place. Totally. Do you feel like, I mean, now I feel like I looked at your life on Instagram, which we all know is the most accurate portrayal of someone's life. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like you're like totally like living your dream and like doing your thing. And I feel like whenever anyone is able to support themselves from like their passion and like speaking from their truth, it's it's the shit. But I wonder from your experience, like you could lose something again today. And like, what are the tool? Like, what is the tool that you can tell people or what is the the message that you you can share that people need to hear when like, yeah, even if you're comfortable and circumstantially something change changes, like what's the lesson that like carries through? For me, it's kind of like not holding anything too tightly. Yeah. Like I, I used to, I mean, I still have massive anxiety and like, I mean, the number one thing I would say to people like, Get medication and therapy if you need it. I, I mean, so Lexapro is my best friend. Me too. You know, hey, 15. Hey, <laughs> I'm on 10, but could probably go up a notch. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I think for me, I battled with anxiety my whole life. And like from birth, I remember when I was eight years old, I would literally lay in bed and make up maps of how I was going to rescue my family when inevitably a killer would come in and attack us. Like that's- Okay, you're in that, you're that place. Oh yeah, I literally for Easter, I was, grew up very religious. And so for Easter at church, they gave us a long like 10 inch Jesus nail that represented like the nails on the cross or something. So disturbing. And And it had a purple bow on it for like the resurrection. And I whipped that fucking bow off. I put that nail under my pillow and I slept with it there so I could kill someone that came into my house. That is so sick. Yeah, I mean- And you're like, like seven? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, this doesn't represent shit to me. I'm going to kill someone that comes for my family. Oh my God. Why are you yeah. thinking about that at the time? Are you like- well, is- I, But that's the thing. When you grow up with anxiety, it's like, 
I mean, my mom also let me watch a lot of like unsolved mysteries and things like that, which isn't great to let your kids like it was the 90s. It was just like watch like murder shows. Right. Like, why do I still love them? I don't know. But I remember being like so anxious my whole life, just like anxious about everything moving through life. And I got to my adult years, got on medication, finally got the therapy that I needed and still need. And what what keeps me happy with all of this like good stuff is knowing that if it fell away, that I would be fine. Mm. You know, that if like, like it's funny because I'm in a position right now where I get a lot of material things with my job and I constantly get material things and everyone's like, that's so cool. And I'm like, I actually just don't care about it. I, I really don't care about it. And I wouldn't take any of it like yeah. with me if I like, it, it doesn't matter to me. Like it's here and it's fine and I'm not ungrateful, but it doesn't matter to me like actually. And so, and like my relationship really matters to me, but and Craig, if you're listening to this, I would live if you weren't here. And, and I know that I've been single. I've been jobless. I've had no money. I grew up with not a lot of money. There were times in my childhood of like, we were really, I mean, barely scraping by. And so for me, I'm kind of like, I've lived without. And so it allows you to live more happily with, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really like what you said about just not holding on to things too tightly. I think that's like so well said and so true. And like what's meant for you will be yours and what's not meant for you just isn't. And that idea of, I see that in a lot of people when they're when they're going through a hard time or things feel really touch and go. And I see it in myself too, of just like, if there's a role I'm up for that I really want and just like, oh God, just like being so like effortful and intentional about that. And like, it just never serves you. Mm -mm. It's always when you're kind of being loose with it and fluid and like allowing life to kind of just move in this like dynamic way that things fall into your space that are meant for you. Totally. And I think, I think what people, like what I find is people confuse it with like not caring. It's like you can care Mm. about things but they actually like the 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 points in which I start to question myself are when I feel like I'm holding on to something really tight. Like right. what like there were times even in my current relationship where I was like I was so tightly gripped around what it meant to have this relationship and it be like I mean we were very serious very quickly and mm-hmm. I wasn't really like that before this. I was more like I am the eternally like want to be dating a million people girl. And even in my relationship, I had some points where I'm like, why am I holding so tightly right. to this relationship working? And it was because I was afraid that if that ended, that m- my life didn't have some sort of meaning or I, I realized, oh, I'm starting to make being in this relationship part of my identity in like an unhealthy way. And so it's not that you have to get rid of the relationship, the job, the material thing, the hobby, whatever, the dream, you just have to put it back in priority of like, wait, no, if this relationship went away, I would still be me and I would be okay. I've been without it. Same thing with a job, same thing with a gig, same thing with a role. You know, it's like you can care and you can put effort, but when you're like kind of white knuckling it is when you're like suffocating it and you're suffocating yourself. 
I I uh, I'm actually feeling um, like very moved by how eloquently and like just how everything you're saying is so on it. Because sometimes you talk to people that are like a lifestyle, like a a coach of some sort, and I'm like, okay, well, let's see what. The, but you you really, I feel like you're so right with about everything you're saying here, and I think that so applies to relationships, like so much so when you're like, oh god, like I had such trouble. And I, I mean, my thing growing up was letting go of relationships. I like couldn't do it. Like I would be with someone, know that it was not meant for me and then be like, let me give this three more years to make sure. Right. And it's like, yeah, when you have such a tight grip on your life because you're like afraid, it's just fear. It's just yeah. fear being like, I'm afraid that I remember. And then when I started dating my current girlfriend, who's like, my current, I say current because, you know, who knows? It could change at any moment. I'm joking. But um, <laughs> who's like so emotional, her emotional IQ, like her EQ is so high. And she's like so evolved. She's such an evolved human being and like fully baked. Like I've dated so many people that I'm just like, okay, you need to spend some more time in the oven. <laughs> Sounds like a Same. Holocaust joke about Jews. Okay, so <laughs> I, sorry, dark. But I remember I said to her, like early on when we started dating, I was like, I feel like I would just like, die without you. I said something like that. Like something really dramatic. Um, and she goes, the human heart is resilient. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I was that trying is to- the perfect person for you because she goes, actually, you're not going to bring that energy to me. I actually need you to be okay on your own. Yeah. Which is like a really awesome thing that when someone puts boundaries up like that, that are loving, like I'm not freaked out by this but I'm also not going to engage in it. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. And it ugh, it's powerful. It's, yeah. really, it's really, really powerful. But I think I, I hear that a lot from actually like people that are like trying to date. Yeah. And it's like, I really want to meet someone. I really want to meet someone. I'm like, well, the problem is, is you're hanging on to the idea too much that you want to meet someone rather than actually just like being open to meeting someone. Like you're right. so focused on the thing. It's kind of like, when you're so hungry and you're just like, I need food, but then you can't actually think of what you want to eat. Yeah. It's because you're so focused on like this need that actually doesn't have to do with a solution. It's just right. like, I just need this and I'm obsessed with this need. And so often I think we like kind of suffocate ourselves with like this pressure. And when you kind of just be like, okay, let me learn from experience. I've lived a lot of life without this person, without this job, without this gig, without this role, without this Gucci purse or whatever the fuck people buy. It's like, wait, there's been a lot of my existence without this thing and I'm fine. So, right. you know, like, let's take a little bit of this like anxiety and pressure and suffocation away and just kind of like, be like, how can I meet this with like effort, but not obsession? Right. Right. And it's the most self-fulfilling prophecy when you are focusing all of your energy on that need that the energy you then exude is like so it's just an energy of like desperation and it's so like misaligned and that never endears people to you mm. that no. that like want that's coming from it's I mean, I'm sure it's coming from a, a place of it just doesn't seem like it's maybe like thoughtfully executed of like, this is needs to come from like a healthier place. Like I, but, but, but like your girlfriend, you meet them and you're like, Oh, you are a full person. 
Like I actually don't feel like I'm having to fill you up. I, you're like full. And so what that does and why people are attracted to that is you're like, oh, wait, I could be full and be just like next to you. Like we can be dependent in a healthy way, not in a codependent way where it's like, you know, we can't live without each other. And that when you find someone that you can actually exist with in the fullness of yourself and they do too, and they're completely comfortable with that, that is, I mean, and, and not to say they're perfect. But certainly like that feels fucking amazing. And I've met those people before when I wasn't there. And that's why it doesn't feel like it aligns. Right. And I think underneath all of this is like how kind of good you are at. I don't know if good is how I want to say it, but at kind of like loving yourself. Mm -hmm. And like if you love yourself and are capable of appreciating yourself it becomes less sort of, you, you know what I'm saying? What do you think, if you were describing something that you really liked about yourself to a stranger, mm-hmm. like what what do you really like about, like what do you fucking love about yourself? And not in like a cheesy way, just in like a like, you're like this actually I'm better at this. And I'm like, this is like my, a huge part of my value. Uh, I, I would say my sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Why, what is the, what, why do you ask? Just because, I mean, people always get really like bashful. Yeah, I feel so awkward. I feel so uncomfortable now that you said that. And you know what? Like your whole body language changed and you're like, and I'm like, wait, you've been funny and like delightful this whole time. So, so, and you're now you're just like naming it and it's like weird, you know, it's like, uh, and I like, I feel that way. I get that way too. But certainly I feel that we know these things about ourselves but we like feel so uncomfortable like sharing that we know because it means that we like think so highly of ourselves. I'm like, no, like, aren't you happy to be like in the world as yourself? Right. And like, you are very funny and you are very sharp and like witty and you have a way about you to make people feel comfortable and and like a familiarity. But I mean, yeah, like I think everyone and me included should feel more comfortable saying what they like truly think that they're better at and what, what they, are, what what are they you, like about what are you, what do you like about yourself i'm extremely empathetic and i'm mm. i try to be warm to people and yeah. and hopefully make them feel like like they can just like be themselves in whatever way and sometimes um i can get carried away with that because i'm like let me embarrass myself so that you feel comfortable mm. but yeah i i I like seeing when people kind of like drop their shoulders around me and they're like, oh, okay, we're good. Like, I'm not, it's funny because podcasting and, and you know this, of course, you can kind of see that of just when people are yeah, like, I can hang with you. Yeah. Or, or the opposite when they're right. really nervous or they're really tense. And it's like, this is a really interesting human experiment, especially via zoom. Cause you're literally looking at boxes of like, oh, like I can see your discomfort. I can see, or I mean, I can see your comfort. Right. It's really cool. Yeah. That no one ever about Zoom. I know. Zoom is really awesome. Um, <laughs> this is sponsored by Zoom. I, yeah, I know. I want to touch base on some of the body confidence conversation before I go to kind of the final part of the podcast, just because I care a lot about that conversation as someone that I've struggled with eating disorders and body confidence. And I feel like so 
many people. I, you can never have enough conversations about this because my God, do so many people struggle with this. And when it comes to kind of looking myself in the mirror and saying something I love about myself, as you can see from moments ago, it can be at times uncomfortable. So I'm curious what you would say is sort of maybe a comfortable or easy way to begin a journey with loving your body for people listening. I think maybe getting away from the idea of needing to judge your body so much. And that even goes in like the positivity scale of needing to think positively about your body. For me, I think it's really about thinking less about your body than thinking better or worse about it. So I think we live in a culture that really focuses on be happy with yourself. Think positively about yourself. Like love your stretch marks. And it's like, I don't give a shit if you love your stretch marks. Why don't you just not think about them as much? Right. Like that to me is success. You know, the success isn't me being like, I used to hate my cellulite. Now I love it. It's like, you don't have to fucking love your cellulite. You can like do whatever you want. Like if you want to get like, freaking cellulite, whatever. I don't know some about cellulite surgery. I don't think do that. But like <laughs> right. treatments or whatever. It's like, do whatever you want. But the thing is, it's like we live in a society where we have been all consuming. Everything we do reminds us that we should be considering what we look like in it. Mm-hmm. Like that, we have to like shed that, you know, more than like being like body positive. You know, I think like a neutrality is something that I can get behind. A confidence is something I can get behind. But I think just in general, it's about focusing less on the body in in its like aesthetic form. And so for me, one of the most helpful things that I've done is like stop checking on it so much. Like stop, we we check on our bodies all the time. We don't realize it. One like very small example And this is like, I mean, I think something that most people do, get up in the morning, walk in the bathroom or walk in front of a mirror and pull your shirt up. I didn't realize that I was doing that every day. And this is someone who actually feels totally fine in the body that they have. But why the fuck was I doing that? Was it that I was like giving myself like this mini like judgment every morning? Right, a little test. (laughs) Yeah, a little test. And you know what? I, I used to think in my head, because when I first started noticing I was doing it, I was like, no, it's just because like, I like myself and I'm just giving myself a shirt. And it's like, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was actually just doing this little mental check of like, am I acceptable every day? Mm. And so quite literally, I just stopped doing it and I would stop myself and I would walk in the back and I'd be like, oh, no, not going to do it. Same goes for, I mean, we all do this, like walk in front of the mirror, suck your stomach in well, what would it look like if I look like this? And it's like those little habits that actually, it's not about, you know, that the thing itself, like looking at your stomach itself isn't bad, but it's like, we're just constantly reprogramming ourselves to not care as much. Right. You know? And like, the thing is, is people wonder like my stance on like plastic surgery or like getting whatever. Cellulite surgery. Brazilian butt lifts or whatever. They're like, how can you tell people that it's fine to do that? They should just love their body. I'm like, no, it's that you really shouldn't care. Like your body shouldn't matter as much as it does. So if you want to get a fucking huge ass, like Cardi B, like go and do it. I don't care, but don't let that be your whole personality. 
Don't let that be like the thing about you that you want people to know. And for me, the best thing that has helped me with that is filling your life with other shit that makes you feel confident, like hobbies. People don't realize that they don't have hobbies anymore. Like people don't have interests outside of work. Everything has to be monetized. Have things that you like to do that you feel like are just bringing you some level of satisfaction or joy. Number two, spend your time with people that don't make you feel like shit about yourself. If you have people in your life that constantly make you feel like shit about the way you look or who are constantly doing that to themselves, and that makes you more kind of like frantic about it in your own head, like put boundaries there. Right. You know, and, and the third is, like I said, just like stop focusing on it so much every day, like stop putting so much of your energy towards like thinking about that, right. Put your energy towards thinking about something else. We only have so many hours in the day. So it's like, if you want to spend six of your hours thinking about like what your butt looks like or why your jeans don't fit from last summer, instead of moving the fuck on and going to freaking buy a new pair of jeans or like going to thrift a new pair of jeans and like releasing those previous ones into the wild, like pick how you want to spend your time. But I assure you like the, like harping over how you look isn't like a great use of our time or our energy. Yeah. I think that I have a hard time. I'm listening to what you're saying about hobbies and, and, and kind of, yeah, I, I like the idea of, you know, all of these things are neutral and we give them meaning, whether that's yes. looking at our ass or looking at a plate of whatever cookies and saying, I, I feel guilty after eating them. I think I have a interesting relationship untangling, kind of working out and the food I eat from a bigger conversation about my body because Mm. I want to work out because I want to feel good and I want to feel strong and I want to feel fit and I want to eat things that make me feel good. But then the line between that and is that just putting a Band-Aid over body issues or is Mm. this a way that I'm silencing this other noise that I have where I'm like, no, I'm focusing on eating good. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, and I'm also shutting the voice up that says I'm not worthy if I don't eat these things. Like, what is your relationship with kind of that bigger conversation? Because I know that what you're saying about not caring about, you know, not giving as much value to if seeing a glimpse of a thigh in the mirror is not the same as saying, well, I don't care about working out and I don't care about. No. Right. But you see what I'm saying? There's this like connective tissue there that sometimes is hard to finesse. I think, you know, when it's real, when you don't have guilt and shame surrounding it, I think. And so it's like, if I can go work out one day and skip the gym on the next day, and I don't feel guilt about that, that means I'm not assigning meaning. So I would say you're right. I think a lot of people, especially in wellness, and my Instagram account used to be more focused on fitness wellness. I actually started working in fitness wellness, like Mm -hmm. whenever I started my social media presence. And what was so interesting in it, I, I saw so many wellness accounts that were just like, I'm like, this feels like ED coded in wellness. And like, I don't, and a lot of these people have struggled with disordered eating in the past and things like that. And I'm like, hmm, this feels like maybe not like great to me. Plus um, for me, it was like, I was like, wow, this feels very rich and very white. And I don't actually like that at all because I'm like, "Mm, this feels like very exclusive Mm -hmm. and, you know, that you need X, Y, and Z to be healthy 
you need money and you need access and you need a $25 class and you need this. And I was like, yeah, something about this doesn't feel good because it promotes shame and it promotes guilt. And it's like, I mean, I I was part of that system. And then I had to start grappling with my own participation in the system of, of like, wait a minute, these things don't make us healthy and well. Like you can move your body for free. You can eat healthily. I mean, our food system needs a lot of help, but you can eat healthily, like with pretty basic things, you know? But I was so wrapped up into the wellness of it all that I started to kind of like have those disordered thoughts of my own of like, if I don't do this, then I'm a bad person. If I didn't work out, get that fifth workout, sixth workout of the week, somehow I was lazy. And so that's when I knew the good thing was bad. Yeah. I think if you're like, yeah, I'm going to the gym because I like moving my body and I like feeling energized and it's good for your health. But then I would say you can feel good about that until on the day that you need rest, you feel guilty about it. Right. I say I would say like, feel great about eating like a delicious plate of like vegetables and things that make you feel really good. But then also like there's an issue if you go out with your girlfriend on a date and you guys go eat pasta and pizza and you're like, I really got to like take take some time tomorrow and like work out a little extra hard. Like I think when there starts to be a punishment for the other behavior, that's when there's like an issue yeah. for me. And I think for me, the, the embracing the neutrality and also I always remind myself like life is really fucking long. Life is really long. So people come to me and say, oh, I ate like garbage for two weeks. I'm like, honey, I ate like garbage for like 12 years. I went to the the tanning bed every day. I smoked cigs constantly and I ate a fourth meal out of fast food joint for literally like 10 years straight. Like life is fucking long. Totally. That is so, that is so good. Yeah. Life is long. I, yes. That's people like, oh, I had a bad weekend. I'm like, oh my God, a weekend out of all the weekends you ever had in your whole life. You had a bad weekend. You had a bad month. You know how many months you're going to live? Yeah. I was closeted for 15 years, Kelly. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, I, I, yes, yes. So much yes. Um, before, before we finish, uh, there's a questionnaire that I like to ask all my guests um, that I was obsessed with growing up from inside the actor's studio. And I think it's just so awesome. So I'm going to ask the, the questions to you if that's all right. Okay. Um, the first question is, what is your favorite word? Um, herbaceous. What does that, what does that mean? Um, I was, I learned it from a waiter, a server uh-huh. and they, they described, I was like, what's this cocktail like? And he was like, it's herbaceous. Oh, and I was H-E-R-B, like, that's, herbaceous. Yeah, herbaceous. Uh-huh. And I was okay. just like, wow, that's a great word. I like that. Mm. What is your least favorite word? Um, you know what? I hate the word experience because I can never spell it. Okay. Okay. I misspell it every time. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or, mo- or emotionally? Nature. What turns you off? New York City sometimes, <laughs> honestly. What is your favorite curse word? It's gotta be fuck. Classic. What sound or noise do you love? Skateboards on the street. Oh, okay. You should move to Venice Beach. Mm. What sound or noise do you hate? The sound when you step on your dog's foot and they <sighs> like... Put out that little cry. You feel like you're world shattering. Yeah. You get it. <laughs> it's so true. Um, <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Therapist. What profession would you not like to do? 
bed bug extermination. Ugh. If heaven exists, <laughs> what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? This bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Shanae, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are so wise and so lovely. And I think people are going to really enjoy this episode. I know I did. Thank you so much. And where can people listen to you? Yes, um, come find me. I'm on all the social media things at Shanae Alexander. And then I'm on my own podcast and Ali's going to come on my podcast. So please listen to that episode. Um, it's called Press Send and we give advice as, um, as friends. Yay. I can't wait to be on it. Uh, Shanae Alexander on everything. Press Send, her podcast. Thank you so much, Shanae. Thank you. Bye.